0: Good morning. morning. Are you doing all right? Good deal. Grab your Bible, grab your smart device, and uh, have that handy. Several texts that I want to look at this morning, but primarily I want to look at Mark 16 uh, 1 through 8. As we were singing, though, God brought to mind a couple of verses. I just want to share these with you. So if you have a piece of paper, if you have a pen or pencil, jot these down and take a look at them later. From Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, being the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by His word of His power after making purification for sins. That's the reason we gather, amen? After making purification, not all of you agree. That's the reason we gather, right? Amen. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he's inherited, is more excellent than theirs. And then in chapter 2, it says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we don't see yet everything in subjection to him. But we see him for for a little while, who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's risen. Years ago, our ancestors, our forefathers, declared to one another, they didn't have the Bible as we have it, right? They didn't have a leather bound edition of the scriptures, and so they encourage one another by these hymns that we sing, namely the Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, or the Philippians 2, 5 through 11, but when you went to the catacombs and places where you worshipped and you were fearful for your life, you you would say, He is risen, and somebody else would respond, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. So what? Let's pray. Father, for your word, uh, I'm grateful for this time that we can spend together as your church, as your people. Uh, here at Hillcrest, I'm grateful. I'm grateful, Father, for every person, uh, whether they have staked a claim here at Hillcrest or not, whether they're just searching um, in general. God, I pray that today would be a day of, of not just not just hearing words out of my mouth, but hearing your word. God, we've already sensed your presence here this morning, and we are grateful I'm grateful, Father, that you give us the opportunity that we have, and I pray that you would allow us to respond as you see fit. By the power of Christ, I pray. Mark chapter 16, for those of you who haven't been here with us since the first of the year, we here at Hillcrest have been going through the Gospel of Mark, and everything kind of leads up to this week and next week. The Gospel writer has been, from the beginning, talking about who Jesus is. And if you're not aware of it, the Gospel writer in Mark is particularly concerned about Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. We saw a little bit of the suffering last, last week, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But I want to I read the first eight verses of chapter 16 and uh, kind of set the scene for where we're headed this morning. It says this from the English Standard Version, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene And this man said to them, Do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's not risen. Or He has risen, I'm sorry sorry to say. He he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. But go tell His disciples and Peter that He's going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him just as He told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The last few weeks as I was preparing for this Resurrection Day, I don't know what it is. There's something about the word Easter. I know what it is. It's semantical things. It's one of semantics, but the word Easter just kind of sets me off because Easter is not a biblical thing. But Resurrection Day is. And so I was, I was preparing for this Resurrection Day uh, the last couple of weeks, and I noticed people in our neighborhood, we live in Anna, for those of you who don't know, But I noticed people in our neighborhood, and it's a particularly active community, active neighborhood. And I was thinking about everyone has a story. So if you're walking your dog or if you're pushing the stroller down the street, everyone has a story. And we're all probably just as busy as the next person, but I thought from time to time as I saw these people coming and going and speaking to them, and do they understand the resurrection? Do they know what's coming here in the next couple of weeks? Do they understand what the resurrection is all about? In other words, they might be aware of the community egg hunt, or thousands of eggs. It seems like we get bigger and bigger every year. Thousands of eggs falling from helicopters. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But are they aware of the resurrection? You might be aware of Easter, but are you aware of the resurrection? Chances are there's family around, like our family is around. Maybe there's a prime rib that is being cooked, or maybe there's a a roast or a ham being prepared. But are they aware of the resurrection? Are we aware of the resurrection? Most kids get off Good Friday, and sometimes they get off uh, the following Monday for a weather day, but what do they do with the resurrection? Those of us in the church are quick to point to people outside the church and ask these questions, but I, I'm not so sure that we ask them of ourselves. In other words, those of us in the church are not immune to the same thing. We've gone through this over and over. Every year we, we do the same thing. We, we celebrate what we call Easter or the resurrection day. We we buy a few new clothes, or we might even look for something that tugs at our heart, something that makes us emotional. But what do we do with the resurrection? This makes all the difference in the world. Now, this is the difference between life and death. In Amos chapter 5, verse 21, I think it'll be here on the screen for you. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 says this, I hate, that's a pretty strong word. This is God speaking through the prophet, and notice what it says, I hate. I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. That's pretty harsh. It sounds pretty harsh to me. And let me me set the context up for you. The people of Israel, the people of God, have become about worshiping God in certain places and at certain times. For instance, we worship God on a Sunday. We worship God at a Bible study. We worship God when we're in a safe place, when everybody's going to agree with us. But what do we do Monday through Saturday? What do we do when we're outside this place? Well, what do we do when we're outside of our safety zone? And God makes it clear that he hates, he despises just going through the motions. How many of you are just going through the motions? Nobody's going to raise their hand. But in some sense, we're all going through the motions. God forgive us. What do you do with the resurrection? Last week, we ended our time together, and I'll ask you who weren't here last week would join us. And I challenged each other, I challenged myself, I challenged you, to sit and reflect on our sin. That's a really uncomfortable place, to sit and reflect on our sin. In other words, it's easy to blame others. In this case, the resurrection, the crucifixion, in this case it's easy to blame the Romans, it's easy to blame the Jews, it's easy to blame, and we live in a society where it's easy to blame other people. It's my parents, it's my grandparents, it's the way I was raised. It's where I come from. It's all of these other things. But to take ownership, to take responsibility, that's something that we don't want to do. I'm here to tell you that it takes a real sign of maturity to say, I'm the one that's responsible for his sin, for his crucifixion. I'm responsible for what happens in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I'm responsible for causing this brutal death. In other words, it was your sin, it was my sin, it was our sin, both individual and both collective, that caused a God who is love to feel the impact of the Father turning His head away from Him. Those of you who were here last week will remember Jesus crying out from the cross, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why have You left me all alone? And it's all because of our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reads this way, For our sake... Paul says for our sake he God made him Jesus to be sin not just to take on our sin church but to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God isn't that good news in other words you can't do enough you can't keep struggling you can't keep you can't keep getting better and better and better we we've talked before about this this whole thing of the problem, Jeremiah would say that above all else, the heart is desperately wicked, and I can't. But the good news of the gospel is, He can, and He has. Remember what He says from the cross: "Not just my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" But He also says, "It is finished." To tell us, die. Paul would say in Romans chapter three that we have the ability, we have the opportunity to become what Jesus has done for us. His righteousness now becomes our righteousness. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the good news is all about. See, I'm convinced, as I said last week, that we're quick, too quick to bypass thinking of our sin and we move too quickly toward the good news, the resurrection. So I hope this past week you've had an opportunity to at least reflect on why Jesus went to the cross. Not to blame, not to look for Jews or Romans or your parents or society or an unfair world, but to look in the mirror and recognize that you have a part to play in Jesus going to the cross. It's almost daunting. It's, it's a certain responsibility, it's a certain maturity when we understand what happens. And I think that probably occurred for the disciples. It probably occurred for Mary Magdalene. Did you notice in our text here in Mark chapter 16? We talked about it in our Bible study this morning. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster? They're up and down and up and down. In the last three and a half years, they have found the Messiah. They think they've found the one who's going to make things right. But he says some really strange things. He says, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. That wasn't part of the plan at least a part of their plan, that's not what they wanted. They wanted somebody who would overthrow the Romans. And when he hangs on the cross, when when they see him, first of all, they've deserted him. They've Peter is washing his hands, is warming his hands over this warming barrel. And he says, I don't know the man three times. We talked about that last week. And now we get to this place where as Marys, the Marys go to the tomb and they begin to, if you don't know the ancient Near East, Process of what goes on. They didn't embalm. Jews didn't embalm. Egyptians, they embalmed. Romans embalmed. Jews didn't embalm. So what they would do is they would anoint this body, anoint this body. They would they would place these spices upon the, the body, for the smell. A year later they would return and they would take the bones and they would put in what's called an ossuary box. Some of you are probably are aware of that and have you've read about those things before. So that's that's what's going on, and they find. As this text tells us in Mark chapter 16, this angel, this this man who tells them, hey, it is just as can you imagine the emotion emotional roller coaster? Hope maybe still exists for them. You've hit the bottom of the barrel when you think it's my sin, it's my it's my stuff, it's my struggle. Why would I why would I leave him alone? Why would I why would I be gone? Why would I disassociate myself from him? And then you begin to think, maybe it is as he said all along that he was going to be resurrected. Remember the text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He actually became our sin. He became our sin. Don't miss that. Some of you remember the the sermon at Pentecost. Remember Peter in Acts chapter 2 as the early church is beginning to they, they go and they Stay in the upper room in Jerusalem. And Jesus has said, wait until you receive the power from on high. Wait till you receive from this power from on high. And then you will go out and you will be witnesses everywhere. And Peter is getting up in Acts chapter 2 and he's giving this great message about who Jesus is. And he comes to the invitation time and he points his finger, I think, and he says, you are the ones who killed the Messiah. That's a pretty harsh message. But before that, in Acts chapter 2, verse 24... It says this, God raised him, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible, it being death, because death was not possible for him to be held by it. Isn't that good news? Yeah, man, if you hear that, that's a reason to celebrate. One of the things that we do, like I said, we move too quickly from the sin to forgiveness, or from this idea of not not sitting with my sin to resurrection. But both are important. We have a chance every week as we pass the elements here, as we recognize the the broken body of Jesus. Broken body of Jesus. He was whipped 39 times. The broken body of Jesus. They, They placed a crown of thorns upon His head. They spit on Him. This is creatures spitting on creator think about that for a second they whipped him they did everything unimaginable to our lord and savior and he said things like father forgive them they don't know what they're doing we have an opportunity to sit with our sin we have an opportunity to sit with the broken body we have an opportunity as we take the cup of juice to remember the blood that we shed for your sin for my sin for the sin of the entire world we have an opportunity to reflect every week. In fact, we're called, sometimes we're called traditionalist in that it becomes just a mundane tradition. And it only becomes a mundane tradition if we allow it to become a mundane tradition. It's something very important as we reflect on our sin, but there's also some kind of celebration. It's not just a somber event, it's also a time that we can celebrate that Jesus Christ got up and walked away. Notice what happens in in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. We see this. Mark tells us it's a very large stone. Kind of interesting that the women were talking about who's going to move this stone away. But it tells us right here in Acts chapter 2 God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to help be held by it. In other words, God moved the stone away. Have you ever thought about this before? The stone didn't have to be rolled away so that Jesus could be resurrected. Marianne mentioned for us just a couple of minutes ago when she was talking about containment in these walls. Those are my words, not her words. But the message is clear, right? That, that we try to limit what God can do. In other words, the stone was not rolled away for the benefit of Jesus. The stone was rolled away for the benefit of you and for me and for those who peered in and for, for John and Peter who would go in and see what God had done. That's the miracle of the resurrection, is it not? Yes, it is. Jesus Himself says in John chapter 10, here's what it says, verse 17 and 18, for this reason, this is Jesus speaking, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. They didn't kill Him. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. In other words, this is perfect sacrifice. This is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus could have said enough is enough and been done with the whole thing. But he does it. It says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Can you think about that kind of love for a second? Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 2, 5-11, through 11, I mentioned that, that hymn to you just a couple of minutes ago, you should have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ. I'll tell you what the mind of Christ is, Paul would say. He gave equality with God the Father. He gave that up, and He came, and He lived among us. He's he's the greatest servant of all. And He went to the point of even death on a cross, the most brutal death you can ever imagine. Is that not love, That, that sacrifice? Is that not love? And we're supposed to have the very mind of Christ? That's the Jesus that we're talking about. And so you can imagine this emotional roller coaster, as we've talked about, going on here in Mark chapter 16. They saw that the stone had been rolled back. We know by Scripture that it was rolled back by, by God. And entering the tomb, they see this young man, this angel, and they're alarmed. <laughs> yeah, you would be too. But the good news is, as the angel declares, he is risen. He is not here. And so when I say He is risen, you should do everything in your power to say He is risen indeed because it makes all the difference in the world. This is the difference between life and death. Go tell His disciples and Peter. you think Peter needed some kind of restoration of hope? Sure he did. Peter's the one that refused over and over again that he knew Jesus. And they go out and they're too afraid. And why are they too afraid? Because they're living in the natural. They're living with these eyes of flesh. They're living with these ears of flesh. I'm going to leave you with one text this morning, but before we read that text, and before we prepare our hearts for the commission that we in the church are supposed to get come next week, I want to ask you a couple of things to think about uh, today as you're spending time with your family, as you're thinking about Easter, as you're thinking about this Resurrection Day and how good God is. And here it is. You ready? Once you've reflected on who you are, once you've set with your sin, once you've reflected on your own responsibility for the crucifixion, now, church, it's time to believe. We just read about the righteousness of Jesus Christ that becomes our righteousness if only we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Amen? We're not talking about knowing about God. We're not talking about knowing about Jesus. We're talking about this intimate knowledge. You see, too many people in our world, too many people in the church, they know about God. They know about Jesus. Perhaps they could pass a quiz in Sunday school, but do they really know God? Do they really know Jesus? If you understand the resurrection, if you understand the crucifixion, if you understand the resurrection, if you understand the commission that Jesus Christ gives us, It's time to get up and live your life declaring the goodness of God. He is risen. He is risen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. I would remind you, brothers, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I receive, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, To one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's all of our story. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Can I ask you this morning, this? Easter, this Resurrection Day, do you know Jesus? Not know about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I think it's important sometimes sometimes there are people that join us that aren't typically here on Easter. I think it's important that we talk about the Gospel. We talk about the good. What makes the Gospel the good news? It's all because of Jesus' resurrection. If we have no resurrection, the, the Scripture says very clearly, if we have no resurrection, we're preaching in vain. If there is no resurrection, if this is just a myth, if it's just a silly myth that's created by mankind, what are we doing other than just gathering and making each other feel good about ourselves? But if you really understand what happens when the tomb is rolled away and Jesus begins to appear to Peter and to the twelve and to the five hundred, and then He gives this commission for us to go out and change the world. The reason I mention that is some of you have been around the church for a long time and to hear this well done, good and faithful servant Michael, to hear well done, good and faithful servant it's not just to receive it's what do you do with receiving Jesus Christ. When I say He is risen He is risen indeed. He is risen He is risen indeed. Now what? Now what do you do about it? Now you go out and Tell the world how good God is. Now you go out and tell the world, I can't and I don't, but guess what? He can and He does and He is done. That's the hope of the resurrection. My prayer is that if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that today is the day of salvation. That we take care of that before you leave this place. If there's someone here today that has just been going through the motions, remember we just read that text in Amos chapter five. If you're just going through the motions, if you've been around the church for a long time, if you gather just because you feel like you need to gather, if you're there, if you're here because somebody has drugged you—not drugged you, but drugged you—maybe they've drugged you too. But if you're here for ulterior motives, let's take care of that as well. My prayer is this: This is not just a day. This is not just a season. This is for eternity. He's risen. Now what? Let's pray. Father, for your word, I'm grateful for the good news, the gospel. You didn't have to, but you did. You didn't have to create, but you did. Uh, You didn't have to love us, but you do. And I, I guess the best picture we have of that love, no, I don't guess. I know the best picture that we have of that love is Jesus hanging on the cross. And when I think of my sin that hung him there, God, I'm so grateful for grace and love and mercy, and I pray that you would forgive us when we think we're beyond God's grace. I know there's people in my life that I interact with all the time who think they've done more than you could, more than you could cover, more than you could love, and I know that's not the case. One drop of blood was enough. It was sufficient to cover all the sins of the world. I pray, God, that as we are, as we're being restored, as we're being healed spiritually, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand the resurrection in a whole new way. For those of us who just need a church home, who just sense this is the place they need to stake a claim, that I pray that we would get that done before they leave this place as well. Whatever it is that we need to do this morning, God, may we respond as you would have us to respond. By the power of Christ, I pray. Amen.